Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Seeing the full picture. Isn't it amazing how well our brains filter all the stimuli that come to it from our senses, allowing us to focus on just a few things at one time? For example, consider the scenario of coming back to work after teaching, taking a lunch break with a friend at an outside cafe. As you cross the street to get to your car, you might be watching for other cars coming down the road. You might feel the breeze of the cool spring air on your face, or you might smell the food from the cafe that you had just left while tasting the iced tea that you took with you in your to-go cup and hearing your friend's story as you walk together, all while concentrating on a solution to some problem that your friend had just presented you. Isn't that amazing that we can do that? This is kind of a filtering that takes place every moment of the day. So we must learn to naturally ignore the things that are important so we can focus on the important aspects of our lives. In other words, we are essentially blind to many of the events that take place in our lives so that we can focus on the things that we feel are most essential. Sometimes, however, we miss the important things and even the outrageous things that are right in front of us. In 1999, a couple of researchers from Harvard University, doctors Christopher Chablis and Daniel Simons, demonstrated this phenomenon by running an experiment where people were asked to watch a short silent video of students passing a basketball. Some of them were wearing white shirts and the intention, the instructions are to count the number of times that players in these white shirts were passing the ball. So I would like to invite you in this moment to try this experiment yourself. I'm going to go turn on this video and see, let you watch the video and see if you can count how many times students are passing the white the basketball. So remember to look for just the students in white shirts that are passing the basketball. Those are the ones you count. I'm going to switch the video for. Oh, my, my thing had been lost. I may not be able to do it. it. Looks like they've closed the tab. Well, I'll have to send a link to that. I don't want to think you want to take the time for me to research where it is, but it's a YouTube video, and I'll show you what happened. So, about 13 seconds into this video, a person in a gorilla suit walks into the middle of the students. The students are all in a circle. If you want to bring that back up, John. The students are all in a circle, and there's a they're passing the ball back and forth, and there's a gorilla that comes in and stands in the middle of the circle, beats his chest, and then walks to the other side. So the gorilla was present for about nine seconds of the 29th or 25-second video, but the researchers found that about half of the participants who watched the video never saw the gorilla. So I wanted to show that to you, but now I've already given the, the punchline. <laughs>
This experiment invites us to consider what else that we are missing that's going on right in front of us. What critical, outrageous, or even miraculous events are taking place right in front of our eyes, yet we're blind to them. In this morning's passage from the Gospel of John, we read about a man who was literally blind from birth. When Jesus' disciples saw him, they asked Jesus, who was to blame for this man's condition, himself or his parents? Now, at this time, it was commonly thought that such a miserable condition or state of life must certainly be the result of some terrible sin that somebody committed. Jesus replied, saying, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So after making mud with his own saliva and spreading it on the blind man's eyes, Jesus told the blind man, to go to the pool of Siloam, which means scent, and wash the mud away. The man who, by the way, we don't know the name of this man. We never hear the name of the man in the story. He followed Jesus' instructions and was suddenly able to see for the first time in his life. Now, as a blind man in the first century, he had no means of income. He was relegated to the life of a beggar. And that's how everybody saw him. His neighbors perceived him as a lost cause, someone who would never amount to more than a beggar on the street. So they couldn't believe their own eyes when they saw him walking around using his eyesight. Even when he stood right in front of them, explaining he was the guy who was blind but now could see, they wouldn't believe him. And I'm sure it must be frustrating. Maybe you have been in that place where it's people are talking about you while you're standing right in front of them, trying to tell them what you know that's true about yourself, but being ignored by everybody because it just didn't make sense to them or they didn't expect it. Seeking an explanation, some asked, so if you were the blind beggar, how did you suddenly gain your sight? When the man told them about his encounter with Jesus, they decided to take him to the local authorities and let the Pharisees decide and sort this out. Now, when the Pharisees questioned him, he recounted his story again, telling them about his encounter with Jesus. The Pharisees were more open to the idea of a miracle taking place, but only under their terms, which meant not on the Sabbath. Anyone who performed a miracle on the Sabbath was clearly not following the law. So Jesus couldn't have cured his blindness, but he did. So either someone violated the law and performed this miracle, or this guy who claimed to be cured was really a fraud. He was never blind to begin with. So out of desperation, they asked the man, what do you say about him? Well, scripture tells us that the man replied, he is a prophet. But in the original Greek text, there was no punctuation. So perhaps a more likely way of saying it was the man might have replied, he is a prophet? He didn't know. In an effort to resolve one possible scenario that the man was a fraud, 
The leaders brought the parents of this man forward for questioning. When interrogated by the authorities, they replied truthfully, yes, he was their son, and yes, he was born blind. As to how he gained the use of his eyes, they had no idea. They obviously heard the story, the same story that the man had been telling everyone. But they were reluctant to repeat it because they could tell that this story was becoming more and more controversial. If they angered the authorities too much by repeating the story, they might be put out of the synagogue. Also, anyone who publicly supported the notion that Jesus may be the Messiah was threatened with isolation, being put out of the synagogue from the rest of the Jewish community. In such a, a closely knit small culture, this could have dire consequences. I mean, it could be difficult to do business with anyone. You wouldn't be able to participate in the religious rites of the community. You may not even be able to purchase certain foods that were kosher. It was a big deal. The man's parents were afraid, so they declined to testify on his behalf or even just repeat what he had said. Apparently, they were more interested in their own welfare than their sons. So they suggested that the man let him speak for himself. He's of age. Following the parents' advice, the authorities summoned the man again to ask him what had happened. Invoking a call to give glory to God alone, they claimed that Jesus was a sinner. But the man, relying on what he knew, based perhaps on reason, tradition, scripture, and experience, compromise, what is that? The Wesley quadrilateral, that's right. He replied, I don't know whether this man is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I'm a seed. After being asked to recount his story again, he answered them. Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone has opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now feeling patronized, the authorities drove him away. When Jesus learned how the man was being treated, he found him and asked the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? When the man asked Jesus to show him who the Son of Man was, Jesus replied, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. The man answered, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Apparently, this man's heart was also opened, as well as his eyes, which we can tell by his evolving recognition of Jesus as possibly a prophet at first, to clearly the Son of God at this point in the story. And Jesus replied, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see they become blind. All along, right in front of this man, as well as all his neighbors, his parents, the religious authorities, and even the crowds of Jerusalem, the Son of Man was standing there, waiting to be recognized. Yet none of them could see him. 
Jesus, the light of the world, was exposing misconception of the day that most people were unable to, unable to recognize him or the truths that he was trying to highlight. Although the mistakes of the first century Jews may seem obvious in hindsight, we have plenty of our own blind spots that need to be revealed. Christ is still at work in the world today, offering grace and compassion to all who see him and acknowledge his presence. But we often don't recognize him. When an intervention takes place in our life or the life of someone around us, and it gives us a new unusual or different way of looking at the world. When someone says words that resonate with us in a special way, yet that person had no way of knowing what was in our heart. Or when circumstances evolve in a certain way that put us on track to fulfill a new purpose in life that we had previously never considered seriously. These are all evidence of Christ standing right in front of us, shedding light on the truths that we need to see and helping us understand the bigger picture. Just as the Apostle Paul urged the church houses in Ephesus to seek out what is pleasing to God and walk as children of light, we also need to seek out what is pleasing to God and let the light of Christ reveal our paths. I invite you on this fourth Sunday of Lent to consider your own blind spots. Where is Christ in your life today? Where is Christ guiding you? As you gain clarity on where Christ is working in your life and throughout the world, you will have a better understanding of the full picture of reality and know how to live your own life more fully. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.